everybody. So this is an animated episode and the link will be in the description below if you want to watch it. Uh, we've been working on it for a while now. Um, and this has always been my vision for what the You Mind and uh, Creeping Wave, my two podcasts I run, were going to be is I always want to incorporate some kind of animation, maybe like a little bit of a Tom goes to the mayor kind of element into it. Uh, and so this is my experimentation with it. And uh, to do this on the regular, I'm going to need a, a much more powerful computer and, and probably a staff because <laughs> doing it on my own is is quite a lot. But I think it was worth it. And I really uh, want to support the artist who uh, is our guest on the show, Vince Alvindia. And uh, he contributed his own artwork. I asked him to do uh, sort of an illustration of himself uh, in a couple different poses, and then I would sort of intersplice it in with original artwork and composites that I put together to sort of tell his story and uh, animate his interview. And uh, it's really fun, and I hope you'll check it out. Uh, the animation kind of ramps up as we go along as I got more comfortable with it. I'm just using iMovie and Photoshop, so yeah. <laughs> But uh, who knows what the future holds might be getting better equipment. I, I don't know. You can always go to patreon.com and uh, help support the show and ha help me get there a little faster if you want to. But uh, also just listening helps us out and uh, really just uh, supporting the artists who appear on the show and uh, that they mean so much to me that you're even tuning in right now. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention is that we do talk about uh, the artist's influences and one of the things that comes up is uh, Harry Potter and I know that J.K. Rowling's is having a, a not so nice moment on Twitter right now. Uh, but I think uh, I, I had been advised by some people to just edit everything about Harry Potter out. Uh, but I think in canceling people, uh, canceling somebody comes with the idea that an opinion uh, or uh, they, their current ideas are static and they can't be changed. Uh, and so I, I think that instead it's better to show people that, uh, especially in J.K. Rowling's case, that Harry Potter has become part of the cultural consciousness. It's affected people. Uh, it goes beyond you. It's something bigger than you right now. And uh, maybe you need to, to think about how, how you, uh, what responsibilities that <laughs> might come with. So anyway, uh, I hope that you enjoy. And uh, yeah, so uh, check it out. And if you, if you just want to listen along, that's great. But, but check out the animation at some point because it's really fun. It's really cute. You're, you're going to enjoy it. Okay? Just, just do it. All right. Thanks. Bye. The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Don't be scared now. But it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself. It's time for red hot truth injection. Oh yeah! That's right, bitch. We're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fires and wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lies of the mainstream media, one by one. Woo-wee! Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A, this is Universe B, Colin, and we're going to tear you a new one. You mind?
Okay, everybody. Hey, I am here with Vince Alvandia. Uh, is am I saying that correctly? That's correct. All right. Very good. <laughs> that's yeah. Okay. All right, everybody. I am here with Vince Alvandia, and he is an artist and freelance illustrator. He is the illustrator for the book Dark Agents by Dr. Janina Scarlett, who we did an interview with as well. And uh, Vince, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you uh, recently have been through a big rebranding. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah. First off, uh, I'm a independent and uh, freelance artist local to San Diego. Mm -hmm. I've been in San Diego pretty much all my life. So, um, you know, home of the famous uh, San Diego Comic Con International. And um, as far as rebranding goes, um, I used my website used to be um, beansento.com. And all of my social media was at Beansento. And it was kind of my own personal inside joke that nobody else was in on. <laughs> and it stemmed from uh, when I took Japanese class in high school. Everybody in my class got really cool, uh, I guess you would say Japanese equivalent names, like like Ryu or Ichiro, you know. And, you know, like my, my, I'm pretty sure my, like my friend's my friend Steve's name was Ryu, which was one I was like really envious of because yeah. Street Fighter Two was like really popular at the time. But anyway, she she gets to my my seat, and she's like, "Oh, you know, Vincent, you're Vincento." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool. You know, what what's that in Japanese?" And she's like, "Oh, that's Vincent in Japanese, just phonetically." Huh. And I was like, "Well, that's kind of a bummer." Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for like a really cool, you know, uh, culturally significant name or culturally normal name, and I got my name phonetically, and then funny enough, it's it's the only thing I remember how to write from two years of taking Japanese class is my first name, and that's how I sign all my artwork. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I decided to rebrand to Egg Drop Ramen uh, Studio mm -hmm. because um, I, I I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have done a couple of panels at comic conventions, and you know at the end of the at the tail end of the panels, they're always like you know. How can people get at you on social media? And I would say my name and people would just get like really weird looks like, like what, what is, what does that mean? And then I'd have to spell it out and it, it, it's really awkward to spell out. Yeah. Especially in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I need something better. And it, it kind of cemented it. Um, the last panel I did was at comic fest and you know, they're like, hey, you know, where can they find you on social media? I'm like, uh, being Sento, you know, at being Sento on all social media, I was like, you know what? If you guys really want to follow me, just come grab a business card. Yeah. <laughs> just because I don't want to take all the time to spell it out. And that's when I clicked in my house. Like, you know what? It's always been awkward trying to tell people how to follow me at these panels. So I came up with eggdropramen.studio. Yeah. Because everyone loves eggdrop ramen. So people remember it. Yeah. I mean, it's always been my, it's my, it's been my comfort food since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like one of the is one of the first things I learned how to cook as a latchkey kid. Aww. So it just kind of makes sense. Made sense. Very cool. Your your story about the bean cento kind of reminds me of. Uh, have you heard the story of tattoo script? How when people would ask for their names in like Japanese, like could you do Jeff, but in Japanese, they they actually came up in tattoo parlors this <laughs> fake script for like J and E and F and F, and it's just like basically there's a chart and it goes down. A looks like this, B looks like this, but it's not really Japanese. It's a totally fake script. So people who were in the tattoo industry could read it. They could tell what it said, but it wasn't actually 
anything in Japanese at all. So there's a bunch of people who have these weird tattoos that are translated because there's really no Japanese word for Jeff or that kind of thing. Yeah, so. that's actually pretty cool. That's kind of like a cool little secret language they came up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like, know if no, they still I do that. I want my anymore. name in that script now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they do it anymore, but I, I know that was uh, back in the day with like sailors and stuff like that. They would do that a lot. That is hilarious. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about uh, talking about your illustration. Now, you have a really fresh, really different illustration style that everybody should go check out. It's a little bit Disney. It's a little bit kind of a manga influence. It's it's very different from anything else that, that's out there. And I, I really appreciate it a lot. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And um, you are the illustrator for the Dark Agents books. Correct. Yes. Wow. So that is a hearty project. Uh, how did you get involved with that? Yeah. So um, that that kind of fell into my lap by working with uh, Dr. Scarlett on on other books. Mm-hmm. Um, we first uh, we first got together creatively um, through a friend of a friend, and this is when she was working at Sharp Hospital for their pain management program. And they they wanted to do a little mini comic to to give out to patients that were weaning themselves off of um, pain medications. So it was to illustrate kind of like the 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 um, I guess physical activities and methods that you could use to to manage your pain without medication. Mm-hmm. And the setting was kind of like a, a a how do you say it a a pain management support group. Yeah. And um so so I I did that with with Dr. Scarlett and. Her and her colleagues, it was like it was, it was received really well by her and her colleagues at Sharp, and um, just working with her and through her with uh, you know with her team there, um, we kind of clicked create creatively, and uh, she really liked the my 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 visual style, and um, my emotive style, so um, you know from that, um, she left uh, Sharp Hospital um, to to, um, to kind of branch out on her own. And um, she wrote uh, another book called Harry Potter Therapy that she published through Amazon. And I did the the cover work and um, the chapter icons for that book, as well as kind of like a Marauder's Map uh, for, for, for therapy, so mm-hmm. to speak. And we also did a book called Therapy Quest together, which is um, it's choose your own adventure, but with a therapy twist. And that was first um, published in the UK and then, I want to say like a couple of months later, I came over to the U.S. Hmm. And that book was like my first book where I was like kind of like a published credited illustrator, uh-huh. you know, by, 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 a, by a publishing company. And it was um, through Little Brown, which is um, the same company that published uh, J.K. JK Rowling's uh, Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. That cool is little fact. Cool. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, so, so from there, um, after that book, she wrote um, – she kind of outlined a series of novels called Dark Agents, and it was it was um, planned for eight novels. And um, uh, she, I forget what she what she calls herself literally. There's a term for it, but she basically she's basically a plotter. So mm-hmm. she kind of plots out the or she outlines the plots of her books before she actually gets into the, like the meat of the writing. Yeah. And um, so when she presented this to her editor, um, they you know he kind of read it. And he's like, you know, this is a really cool book. Um, this would kind of work really well as a graphic novel if you're considered doing like a comic style, you know, um, version of this. And, you know, her being from a geek background, she's like, yeah, actually that's a really great idea. So, um, it was between me and two other artists, 
Um, I submitted, you know, samples of my art to mm -hmm. prove that I could draw, you know, fa fantasy illustrations. Because I think to that point, she's, she'd only seemed kind of like um, my more just kind of normal illustrative stuff and yeah. nothing that really, you know, branched off into like the deep fantasy, fantastical world, you know. Mm -hmm. So I kind of flexed my, my imagination muscles and gave her some concept art and she really liked it. And, um, and we already had a really good creative rapport going. So um, I ended up uh, winning the job and uh, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting book, um, and I, I'm really a big fan of the series. I, I really enjoy it a lot. Um, one thing I wonder about when you do something like that, now the characters, does she have a written description and you just kind of go through and you draw what you think the character looks like? Uh, yeah, she, she has, of course, you know, she has kind of what she pictures in her head mm -hmm. of what the characters look like. And um, when we were, when I was first going through the character design, um, it was more she was giving me like a general like what type of being or race they were, okay. and then kind of like a little bit of background story and and where they came from emotionally. Mm -hmm. So it was it was less like specific visual details and more of a sense of a character that she was giving me. Okay, and um. And luckily enough, whenever I drew something, it was very rare that I had to do multiple um, versions of a character. It was almost like, I mean, I know it's not the norm, but like usually the first, second or third drawing and she'd be like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I want it to be. And it wouldn't be too much tweaking. So, you know, we were very uh, fortunate in that regard. Or, <laughs> I mean, at least I was because, you know, yeah. of course, less for me. And it kind of showed me that I was on the same page as as that she was yeah just on the same wavelength with her that's really cool so that's that's um i a lot of the commissions that i have people will come at me and they they have no idea what they want and so it's like <laughs> seven eight nine drawings and then they're like you know what actually like the first one i kind of like that and that's could you do something sort of like that and i was like yeah i guess yeah, well, so. i always tell people it's like some one of the worst things i mean at least from my personal experience mm -hmm. and from the, from the artists I know, um, such as yourself, mm -hmm. some of the worst things that a client can do is give you free reign. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, really how, how do you narrow it down? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I find that they actually know what they want. They just don't want to say what they want. So it, you just have to kind of like piece it together and figure it out. And it's always a little frustrating, but that's really cool. So you guys just vibed with that fantasy world. I know uh, you mentioned Harry Potter therapy, and I know that you are a big Harry Potter fan, uh, mm -hmm. as am I. Uh, you are a Hufflepuff, I believe. That's correct. Proud Hufflepuff. Proud Hufflepuff. Very nice. I I'm a Ravenclaw, which is exciting. But it's it's probably not very exciting among artists. Honestly, there's probably a bunch of them who claim that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so but uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny that Hufflepuffs get a bad rap because we're kind of considered the leftovers, I guess. Yeah. But I kind of see it as like the most inclusive group. It you really know? is. They're the loyal friends, and yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, if if we didn't know Neville Longbottom as a Gryffindor, mm -hmm. if you just described his character to me, you know, without without telling me what house he was from, I would assume he was a Hufflepuff. See, yeah, I yeah. I always got that kind of feeling about Neville as well, too. Yeah. But, uh, but they're the glue that holds every... My mom is a Hufflepuff. <laughs> and mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my one of my nieces is a Hufflepuff. And so I'm just... Uh, yeah. Though, 
Uh, nobody really uses the American houses, even though they came out. So have you noticed that? Yeah, the, the was it? I forget the house. Um, was it Livermorny or Iver? Ilvermorny, yeah. Ilvermorny, yeah. yes. It's kind yeah. of a tongue twister. I know what, I, well, I used to know what house I was. Yeah. But I had a cool Patronus. Because hmm. mine was like a, it was, I forget, it's like a little, oh, it was, there was a specific name for it, but, but it was like a little mink. Oh, cute. It looked, it looked kind of like, a, yeah, it looked kind of like an otter or a weasel, which Aww. I thought was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> so I guess let's talk about kind of uh, a, a wee little Vince, a young Vince. Uh, when did you first <laughs> realize that you wanted to do something with regards to art and comics? Oh, wow. So my, my earliest memories of like really applying myself to drawing mm-hmm. was I want to say like in the second or third grade. Um, this So this would be about like around 1982, 83, I guess. Yeah maybe in 84, is when He-Man first came out. So I'd always had a fascination, of course, like any kid with cartoons. And, you know, specifically with Popeye and Mighty Mouse, Mm -hmm. because that was was on TV. You know, that was during a time when there wasn't much Disney stuff on TV, unless you caught it in theaters or you rented like a a video of it. So I really loved, I I know I really latched on to Mighty Mouse. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Popeye, Popeye, because of the underdog quality, you know, he's kind of like a weakling until he eats his spinach. And then when I ate real spinach, I was like, you know, that was a cruel trick. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I love I love Mighty Mouse because um, I don't know if there's just a hormonal uh, development of me, but I, I like that he always got the girl. Mm-hmm. And, and they drew the, the Mighty Mouse's little, you know, love interest, you know, <laughs> really appealing. They did. So yeah. I, I, would, I would draw Mighty Mouse and draw myself as a hero a lot. And then, you know, when, once I got into elementary school, I found that, you know, I was kind of like the awkward, shy kid. Mm-hmm. And back then I had a really, really thick Filipino accent. But kids, uh, you know, gravitated towards me because they found out I could draw well. Oh. So, of course, it was like, you know, can you draw this character? Can you draw this for me? And then when He-Man came out, like, that was the thing because it was like the anatomy, you know, could you draw muscles cool mm-hmm. and all that. And, you know, like any kid, I, I had no clue about anatomy. So I'm drawing He-Man. I'm putting muscles on muscles on muscles that don't exist. There's just a bunch of, you know, blobs on the stick figure. And there was another kid. And I'll never, I, I cannot remember his name. I could see him clearly in my head. He, he was a Mexican kid. And he was another kid that had like a thick accent, was really shy. But he could draw better than I could. Mm. And he could really get down on He-Man. And he could draw Battle Cat. And I couldn't draw animals you know, to save my life at the time. So, and so he was taking, he was taking a lot of spotlight away from me. I was like, man, this sucks. Oh. You know, I was kind of like the cool kid because I could draw for a while. And then this kid comes over and, you know, steals my gig. And, and I'll never forget this. We ended up sitting at the same table for a group thing. And it was a rainy day. And, you know, we stayed at the table and we just started drawing. And I was like watching him. I'm like, man, you draw He-Man really cool. How do you do that? Like, I, I got the courage to ask him, how do you do that? And he would, you know, bless him. He was so gracious and kind enough to show me how he drew He-Man. And that was like my first real lesson in construction. Where he's like, you know, these these two squares, those are his, that's his chest. That's spectral. He's drawn big, so he looks, he has this huge chest. But anyway, that was like my first experience with um trying to learn how to draw in earnest and then um i want to say it was around the third or fourth grade was when i discovered pbs and commander mark oh yeah his show was my introduction to perspective Mm -hmm. and foreshortening and shading and then you know the highlight of every show was at the end of the show he would draw in that giant mural where he draws like little stalactites and stalagmites and he'd, he'd hatch them 
mm-hmm. and then draw like a little Yoda bear. And then that like that's where my fascination with caricature. And then I started wanting to learn how to draw backgrounds more, you know, and, and less um, just characters. Because up to that point, I was just like drawing characters. The way he explained perspective and foreshortening clicked with me. There was a lot of self-teaching, a lot of figuring stuff out for a while. Mm-hmm. And then um, I learned a lot of conceptual, or not conceptual, but I guess impressionistic stuff mm-hmm. when I started watching the Bob Ross painting series. Yeah, uh, It was an impression of a tree, but it looked like a rendered tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. that's when I learned how you could take shortcuts and not have to draw every little detail. Mm-hmm. And it would still look like the thing you were intending it to, which was like magic to me. And this dude was like doing it within like half an hour, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> with oil paint of all things, you know. So I, I've always had I've always had a love of watching people draw. I mean, when we've been neighbors, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed me hovering and watching you draw and kind of yeah. just being a lurker. I, I love watching that process because I'm a visual learner. Mm-hmm. And and I, I steal little tricks that, you know, that I catch on to. And, you know, I kind of store them away f- to try out later. Sure. And then um, for me, I want to say the, the turning point to like wanting to like just draw, try to make um, art or drawing a living was in the early 90s. I, I, I discovered comic book collecting and this was right before the image boom. Mm-hmm. And I was very much into Spider-Man and Daredevil. I really loved how dynamic all those and I, and I think that's why I gravitated towards Spider-Man and Daredevil because yeah. it was kind of like the high-flying, swinging, body-contorting kind of anatomy that mm-hmm. just where I was like, "Wow, that should look wrong, but it doesn't." <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I was I was learning how to draw stylistically just by copying the artists of the time, like you know John Byrne, early Jim Lee, even especially the covers. I would I would try to recreate the covers and recreate those styles. And I remember coming across a book in the public library called How to Draw the Marvel Way. Hmm. And I don't know what I was looking for, but I remember finding that book. And the minute I found it, I checked it out. I poured over it. That was kind of like the turning point for me as far as like learning how to draw. That was the game changer. Mm-hmm. Because that was like my first introduction to like true drawing for anatomy. And to this day, I recommend it to anybody that wants to start drawing, whether it's comic book related or not, because it really does from beginning to end. It gives a really good crash course into everything about drawing. Mm-hmm. I was like, wouldn't that be cool if I could be a comic book artist? Because, you know, all my friends love comic books. I love drawing. But for me, the turning point where I really took it seriously was when I became a fan of anime. Hmm. I don't know if you remember the the cartoon series Robotech. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Up until that point, you know, almost every cartoon I saw on American TV in English, I assumed was made in the U.S., Mm -hmm. you know, and then Robotech comes out, and they have characters, main characters that die, and there's like a finite ending to the story, and, you know, there's the plots going somewhere, and it was like, it was mind-blowing for a kid that was like, you know, 10 or 11, you know, I was like so drawn into like the drama of it, I love the art style, I love the animation, it was so different from like episodic G.I. Joe stuff that Mm -hmm. was out there. So of course, when the art books came out, my good friend Bobby in the fifth grade, he bought a Robotech Art 1 and brought it to school, and like, I mean, he was like the hit of the class. And it had all the line drawings and character designs. And when my mom would go to JCPenney or whatever, I would be like, Mom, just leave me at the bookstore. I'm never going to leave here. You know, nobody's going to kidnap me. You'll always know I'm here yeah. in this section reading this book. And I, I would just literally just look at all the pictures. And it was like the screen grabs and the stills of the animation and the line art of the character design. Never really paying attention to the text. And I, I would say like for a whole school year, I would do this anytime my mom went to the mall. She finally noticed me. You know, she's like, man, you really like that book. You're always reading it. You know, and my mom was like, do you really like it that much? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, well, do you want it? 
my jaw probably literally hit the floor. Yeah. I was almost like, is this a trick? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, can we buy it? And she's like, yeah, we can buy it. And she bought me the book and I was like, holy cow, I have this book. Mm-hmm. So I spent hours trying to recreate, redraw the the, the screen grabs, um, tracing the the character designs, the black and white line art of all the main characters and mm-hmm. and the vehicles and the robots and what have you. I was like, you know what? Why don't I try reading this book? There's not a lot of text to it. Mm-hmm. So I was reading the book and reading like you know kind of the brief history of how they created it. And then at the back of the book, it was it gave you a little origin of how they put the show together. And that's when I found out that it was actually three Japanese animated shows that had nothing to do with each other, other than they they shared the word super dimension or super dimensional in the title of the show, hmm. and that they were made by the same studio. Yeah. But other than that, they had zero relation to each other, which blew my mind. <laughs> you know, they melded so well in the series. And I was reading about the iconic artists and designers of the show. Mm-hmm. And one of them was one of my top three artists, artistic heroes. His name is Haruhiko Mikimoto. He signs his artwork, Hal. It said that he was a character designer. And I was like, whoa, character designer. Yeah. Like his whole job is just to design the, the main characters of the show. And that was like really super appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like got the wheels rolling of like, I kind of want to be in this animation world because how cool is that that you design something and it ends up on a big screen or a little screen moving with life. And then shortly after that, Disney was about to experience its renaissance and awaken something in me when they released The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. So that was another <laughs> game changer with me for me artistically. Like that movie blew me away. I love the look of it. I love the design of it. What really struck me after the first time I saw it was, holy cow, I went through this whole movie going through this journey with this character and she speaks for maybe 20 minutes total in the movie, if yeah. that. Yeah. And you spend the you spend the whole movie on the ride with her and all she's doing is, is emoting. Mm-hmm. And that was like magic to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I didn't know you could do that with, with animation or a drawing even. And that's what made me... So that cemented in my head that I wanted to become an animator. You know, yeah, I, I tried to build up a portfolio and, you know, to, to be frank, my parents weren't really on board with it because, mm. you know, traditional Asian family wants me to be a doctor or dentist or something other than an artist, yeah. you know? Yeah. They, they saw it as a hobby, not something you could support yourself with or, or even as a career mm. option. So, you know, I kind of took it upon myself to just be like, you know, I'm just going to do this on my own then. Just just calculating expenses is like, there's no way I can afford this. There's no way my parents can afford this unless I got some kind of scholarship. And I looked at my portfolio and I was very honest with myself. I felt like I needed more time to, to kind of grow and, and draw and kind of figure it out for myself. You know, like, like I was saying, I wanted to be an animator, but somehow in college that morphed into a, a, a lit degree. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a modern lit major, yeah. Which that was a hell of a turn, and I feel like I, lo- I felt like I lost sight of of my goals, mm-hmm. and I felt that part of it was my environment. Not to say that my family family life was bad or anything like that, or my friendships were bad or anything like. But me myself, I felt like I was stuck in a rut. I needed a jarring change to kind of get out of it. Yeah. So I joined the navy to to try and pay my through, pay my way through school. Yeah. And um, so in joining the Navy, I ended up, up getting stationed in Spain for almost my whole, you know, military career, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to see Europe on, on, on the Navy's dime as well as have a cool job and make some friendships and keep drawing. Yeah. And um, 
near the end of my enlistment, I went and actually toured the San Francisco San Francisco Academy of Art and showed my portfolio to one of their admissions counselors. And, um, you know, the, the path was kind of set. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as we know, life life happens. And I met someone. <laughs> yeah. Ended up getting married. Um, ended up having a kid. And also 9-11 happened. Oh, jeez. So it was just like a lot of life events kind of derailed it for 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 quite a bit, if I'm mm-hmm. being honest. I, I had an opportunity. I had a couple of opportunities through my friend Ron. Um, he was working at the time. He was working on um, King of the Hill, mm-hmm. and then Cleveland show. Um, I got to test for The Simpsons. Wow. And if I'm being 100 percent honest, um, I wasn't ready for those kind of studio jobs, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know. Mm-hmm. And he he really did his darnest to 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 try and get my foot in the door and I will forever be grateful to him for that. And he's still a really good friend, you know, and super encouraging. And, um, you know, I, I, I will forever be in his debt for that. But I, I honestly, and where I was in life, when those opportunities came about, I just wasn't ready personally or artistically, yeah. you know? So I took, I took the long road to, to, to dark agents and my first big comic book. Mm-hmm. Where I was just doing freelance design work for like local businesses, yeah. um, horse commission work, people wanting me to draw their characters, kind of dreaming about it, it no longer became like focused on animation period. It was like, I just want to draw. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to make a living drawing, mm. you know, and that brought me to, to, to where I am with Dark Ages. I just kept on plugging away at it, uh, networking, talking to people, showing them my stuff. Yeah. And it was really throwing a bunch of spaghetti at the wall, and finally something stuck. Very cool. So, so that's a very long version of how I got to where I am. It is. <laughs> and yet, by far and large, I think that that winds up being how so many people in the art industry eventually land it. They always know that they want to do art, but they don't really understand how you get into it uh, specifically and that kind of thing. It's true. You, you, there's no real set way to do it. So I, I know that Dark Agents is a continuing series, and can you give us any hints as to what will be coming along in the next books? Now, one thing that's really interesting about this that if people don't know, um, that it is a series that was kind of developed to help uh, people deal with uh, different mental struggles that they're going through. Uh, the first one's about PTSD. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um What's, what's great about Dark Agents is what I like to say is uh, you kind of learn something against your will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Dr. Scarlet is, is such an awesome writer. You know, um, she, she really has a, a, great, a great style to her writing. What she's great at, and I think it's because of she, she's a geek herself. She's yeah. very entrenched in her world. You know, a big Harry Potter fan, big X-Men fan. Um, Star Wars fan. She's married to like a huge Star Wars geek. Very nice. Um, and then Dark Agents, you're going through the journey with the characters. So when they're going through what you would what you would call like a therapy session or some kind of a um, like instructional way of dealing with with their struggles, it doesn't feel clinical or shoehorned because it feels part of the story it's it's a natural part of the progression of the story mm-hmm. and not only that it's it's key it becomes a key tool in how the characters advance their stories you know without without giving too much away yeah you know the, the first book is violet and the trial of trauma so of course it's violet's journey in in dealing with her traumatic past and and how she gains the tools through the instructors she meets 
at this at this um, agency where mm-hmm. she's trying to become a dark agent to help her deal with her trauma and and move forward from it. Yeah, so so every book is planned for a different kind of uh, mental challenge or or mental struggle or disorder or what have you. So the first one is, is trauma. The second one, uh, there's no title yet. Um, it's it's plotted and written, and um, it's being it's it's being pitched as we speak. So we're just kind of waiting to hear back from the publisher or publishers um, whether or not they want to pick it up. You know, cross your fingers for us because it's such a great story. Mm-hmm. It's going to deal with a character named Persifer. Yeah. And her struggles are with um, anxiety and OCD. Mm. And um, what's cool about her character is that she's a shapeshifter. She's she's a shapeshifter that comes from a royal family and she shapeshifts into a dragon. Yes. And I kind of went through a redesign with her that um, Dr. Scarlet, you know, signed off on. Um, we're like super excited about it. If you go on my Instagram, um, you can see a mock-up of the cover that, yeah. that went with the pitch. Yeah. As you progress through the books, since you're kind of discovering what the character from the previous book is going through, when you see them in the next book and you see them kind of in the background, you know, they're not the focal point of the story, but, you know, you start seeing what they're going through. Mm-hmm you know, through a different lens. So you realize that, you know, even though this specific thing is happening to to the main protagonist of this book, it's still affecting the people around them and the people associated with them. It builds kind of a, a path to empathy. We It was in another interview, it was mentioned, like how people relate to, you know, the these, these heroes of these stories that we love, you know, like mm-hmm. Superman or Batman, they have all these kind of traumatic incidents that are the impetus of them becoming heroes or becoming greater than, you know? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what a lot of us don't realize is it's the same kind of trials that we go through. Yeah. But because it's in a fantastic setting, we kind of amplify them to mm-hmm. the fantastic. Mm-hmm. Where we think it, where we, we forget that it's relatable. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is why we love it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I and, I and I think that's that's the, that's the power of story and then these kind of characters. And I think that's what what Doctor Scarlet is is tapping into. So I definitely think this is a series that people should check out and check out your other artwork. And I do have to ask, uh, since we are uh, talking during the lockdown in the state of California. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, how have you been keeping yourself busy? Uh, has your life changed that much, or uh, what? What have you been doing to compensate? Art-wise, it's it's hard to focus, mm-hmm. but then once I get into it, it it's becoming an an escape. To be honest, since I'm I can't really do any other errands, I I can use that time to to draw. I've been catching up on commissions and mm-hmm. taking commissions. You know, um, I'm working on is you know Scott Lost is putting together like a hero anthology and I'm, I'm putting together a short story for that. By, by the time this is all over and we're finally let loose upon the world again, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to have, um, you know, my own creator own Kickstarter ready to go. And hopefully um, my Patreon page launched. This is still a part-time thing for me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of at that point where it's something's got to give the day job or this, you know, mm-hmm. and I would, and I would of course much rather be, have the art gig be a full-time job and what supports me yeah, and my family. So that's what I'm working towards. But that being said, if, if it doesn't work out that way, it doesn't mean I'm going to give it up. Mm-hmm. It just means that it's, it, it, I just have to take a different avenue toward, towards, you know, towards my goal. But the kid, the, the Kickstarter, you know, <laughs> mm. um, through hell or high water is going to happen. Because I've been playing this for like I'm almost going on two years now, three years now, yeah. And I'm 
it needs it needs to come to fruition. <laughs> yeah, tell tell us about the book you're doing the Kickstarter for. So, um, w- without revealing too much, it's a book called "That One Time Parker and Poppy Saved the World," hmm. which is a mouthful. <laughs> I know good. it's it's set in the '80s. Believe it or not, this was determined before all the hype around Stranger Things, and it has less to do with nostalgia and more to do with I don't want to deal with modern technology yeah. and the kind of plot difficulties they can present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such as trying to keep a secret identity with social media and all right. that, you know, yeah, and the internet. So I, I just, and plus, you know, the the mid and late eighties were like, I want to say some of my favorite times of my life. Period. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's a, it's a great excuse for me to to be nostalgic and revisit that era of my life. And so it's it's um, it's basically about a sibling, a brother and sister, who get superpowers by literally eating their vegetables. <laughs> There, there, there's an impending alien invasion. The aliens are in orbit. And while they're in orbit, they're, you know, the mad scientist alien mm-hmm. is trying to concoct a formula to create a super army to conquer the Earth. But of course, he has to go through iterations of that formula. And on one of the failed uh, formulas, he tells a lackey to dispose of it. Well, the lackey um, disposes of it in the wrong chute. And it gets, and instead of being incinerated, it gets, ends up getting sprayed out of the spaceship and into the Earth's atmosphere. It goes through a rain cloud, and, you know, through precipitation, yep. it rains upon um, Parker and Poppy's um, father's uh, garden, where he grows his own vegetables, because their father is, a, is an Asian fusion chef. Oh, nice. Um, so so, so, so the, the, the formula gets into the vegetables that they eat for dinner, but the catch is that the formula only affects um, uh, prepubescent children. Ah. Yeah, so it doesn't affect adults or teens, only kids. Hmm. So that's how they get their superpowers. And of course, you know, it doesn't just rain in one patch. Rain rain falls everywhere. Yeah. So Parker and Poppy may or may not be the only kids that end up having powers, but they are the focus of the story. Very cool. Yeah. So, 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 and then that came about because a couple of years ago, my daughter was really into Teen Titans, the cartoon. She really loves Starfire. And we were at the bookstore and we walked by the comic rack and she walked past the Teen Titans comic book. And this is when they redesigned Starfire, and it was kind of a hyper-sexualized version of her yeah. costume. And my daughter was like, you know, she she posed an awkward question of like, hey, Daddy, is that Starfire? And I was like, yes, sweetie, that's Starfire. She said, she, she asked me, you know, why is Starfire dressed like that? And yeah. I had no good answer for her, Yeah, you know? And it got me to thinking that there's, from, from what I see anyway, there's kind of a shortage of gateway comics like I had when I was a kid Yeah, that was safe to read with your kid. Mm-hmm. I won't even say necessarily leave your kid alone with the comic book, but because you, you should know what your kid is reading. Yeah. But, you know, there wasn't like, you know, my first Spider-Man comics, you know, there, it wasn't boobs falling out of every costume, you know, <laughs> right. or and it wasn't like super dark, super mature origins or content matter. You know, I mean, as dark as it got was that Uncle Ben got shot, you yeah. know, and, and and that was why he became Spider-Man. But, you know, the bottom line was the stories that I read as a kid made me walk away wanting to be a superhero, mm. wanting to be a good guy. And what I find nowadays is that there's such a focus on the grim and gritty. To, to me, if I was a kid, it's like, why would I want to be a superhero? It yeah. sounds like a sucky life. Yeah. You know, yeah. It makes for a great story, but it sounds like it sucks. Mm. So I wanted to, to create something that would be a great gateway into that world for, for a kid that a parent could read with their kid. And not have to worry about like, you know, why this costume look this way or why is this person hell bent on killing everybody in such a graphic manner? 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with with sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, no, no. But but to to me, it's like there's time for that. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to rush into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or and the, the grim and gritty stuff. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, Tim Burton's Batman yeah. was like grim and gritty to me. You know, I mean, by by today's standards, that's pretty tame. But back then, I was like, holy cow, this is like super dark and mature. Yeah. And of course, as a as a as a teenager, you want <laughs> I want the dark and mature because it makes me feel adult. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, so there is a place for that. Absolutely. But but I feel like there's nothing else though. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. There there needs to be other options for for yeah, different audiences. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. and I I think that you're absolutely right, that there's no stepping stone. Like you you have to either just plunge directly into that and there's no graduation into those kind of storylines. So I hopefully Poppy and Parker will save the day. I hope they do too. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you you see that Popeye influence with the eating the vegetables in that. (laughs) Very cute. Very cute. So, yeah. Okay, Vince. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and now where can people find you if they want to check out your artwork, want to get in touch with you for commissions? Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, thank you again for having me. Mm-hmm. It's always fun talking. I, I, as you can see, I love to talk. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can um, see some of my work. Um, I need to update it um, because some of the stuff is getting, starting to get a little old. But um, on my website, eggdropramen.studio mm-hmm. and it, it's spelled exactly how it sounds and all my social media is under eggdropramenstudio yep so um and yeah so uh, for commissions you can message me through my website or you can dm me uh via instagram or twitter and you know and uh yeah you can you can get a hold of me that way um i'm super active on instagram more than any other social media um i'm trying to be better about it um, this year, you know, um, trying, trying to be more regular about posting stuff. Um, uh, I still, I still get a little bit of that, um, anxiety of posting unfinished works and all that, but I definitely, um, like to post stories of like stuff in progress and, um, and just, yeah, I, I like to be silly on there. I don't want to take it too seriously and, and treat it as like a super, you know, business type account, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's how you can get a hold of me and follow me. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much, Vince. And have fun. Enjoy your uh, arting. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what you come out with next. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Nap. All right. You stay safe as well. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Vince Alvindia. Thank you so much for being on the show. You can go ahead and follow Vince at eggdropramen.studio. That's his website or on his big cartel page, eggdropramenstudio.bigcartel.com. On Instagram at eggdropramen. And you know what? On Twitter, eggdropramen. And on Facebook, eggdropramen. It's so easy. Why not follow? And thank you so much to Savage C. Walnar, our legendary announcer. Thank you for all you do. And thank you to Ethan Mixell, the composer of the You Mind theme, Demilitarized Zone. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash lucidnap, or you can do a small one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash lucidnap, or you can buy my comics and art at lostbreadcomic.com. Yay, they all work. I mean, you could also follow us if you don't want to contribute. You could just go ahead and follow us and keep up with us. Spread the word. Let everybody know how much you love the show. It would be a really big deal for everybody involved. And, uh, 
You also should check out Creeping Wave Radio. It is our scripted audio drama. Uh, it ties into the You Mind. It ties into my comic book, Lost Bread. Uh, it's a great time, and we have a lot of local San Diego musicians, a lot of local San Diego actors who come in and contribute to the show. Uh, we do it. Our next season is coming out in October, hopefully. <laughs> it's always a little bit tricky coordinating things, but th- but that's, that's the, the hope, is October. So... Yeah, and thank you for watching. Thank you so much because whether you're watching or listening, it's all about you and interacting with you and sharing this moment with you. And we can't exist without you or without our Patreons, The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and Neil, who are amazing, wonderful, beautiful people who fill our life with joy and happiness. The You Mind is brought to you by Lucidat Productions in cooperation with us. Don't say it. A hairy old man. I'm not that hairy. You've got goat legs for crying out loud. Hello, podcast addicts and curious listeners. Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales is a narrated podcast with dark, thrilling and mysterious stories. In each episode, Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales will take you through the mysteries of the Australian outback, lead you into a remote corner of the galaxy or it will accompany you through a mind-bending nightmare. You can find Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales on Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show so you won't miss another episode. See you out there. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.